0: I joined the business with a view to, to running Battersea Power Station as a project. It's kind of like a false economy for the fitter just to go ahead and, and smash a load of work down, regardless of the quality, thinking they're gonna get paid at the end of the day. It, it doesn't work like that. Mid 50 million, you know, 54, 55 million pounds turnover um, for this. Year. I think we'll probably push closer to 60. Without a doubt, the industry's leading Floyd contractor.
1: This podcast is sponsored by JHS. JHS has a solution to meet any project you may have. From small residential all the way through to high end commercial, JHS has a hand picked commercial LVT, vinyl, carpet tile, and a variety of broad looms to meet every level of budget and specification. Visit jhscarpets.co.uk, contact them directly, and get your local area manager to pop in for a cup of tea. Now sit back. Enjoy the show, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Right, welcome to the podcast, Craig. Uh, for the uninitiated, uh, who is Craig Anstey?
0: That's a that's a great question. Um, so I currently I currently work for Out Contracts. Bit of a strange journey. I've I've, I've actually been in the sport industry my entire working life. I suppose you could say. Right. Um, strain entry, I, um, I played some non-league football. I did an apprenticeship up in Mansfield Town. I played at quite a good level. Went to college and then on to university to do a sports science degree at, at Portsmouth Uni. And then the natural progression from there is straight into the flooring industry, I suppose. I got some work with my, my now father-in-law. My girlfriend's dad at the time um, was a chippy. And when I was at uni and when I, when I left uni initially, I went and, and worked with him for a little while to um earn a bit of money really. You know, I was I was just sort of your your classic young footballer. If if you asked any of my family growing up, if I was going to get my hands dirty and do manual stuff like flooring, um, they would have laughed at you. They would have laughed at you. But I um I went and worked with my father in law. Uh he was a he was a carpenter, like I said, but he did a lot of timber flooring. Right. So yeah, working with him um on and off. And then it, it, it kind of got to the stage where I had I had friends and family that that wanted floors fitted, yeah. um, and my father-in-law was very supportive. I, I kind of uh, I got probably about a month's worth of jobs, sort of all lined up, ready to go, and and took the plunge. You know, a, a year, nine months after leaving uni, and um, and went and did their floors for them. And off the back of that, uh, they recommended to me, recommended me to friends and family, and it kind of snowballed from there. And and I went on to have a, a have a flooring business, a timber flooring business, um, for about sixteen years. After that, it 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 paid the mortgage. You know, my wife and I have got two children. She she didn't really have to go back to work. She came and worked for me in the business when we had our first child, Grace. Oh. Um, and, and we we had a we had a good, a good life, kind of thing. You know, it was enjoyable. And I, I kind of. I kind of learned about the flooring trade on the job, if you like.
1: Yeah.
0: Rebranded the business; it was called Restore My Floor. We did a lot of floor sanding, um, and, and I was saying to you earlier before we sort of got cut off. You know, I've, I've listened to some of the podcasts that you've done, and it's great to to hear from some of the people that I've worked with. For, you know, twenty years now, sort of coming up through the industry. Rose yeah. uh, at KHR, and you know, Adrian Nass. There's a few people: Richard Coletta. Um, but I, I, I had my, my business and it, it was great. It was your classic kind a of self-employed business, you know, some months it was really great Other months, yeah. month, you know, are we paying the mortgage? How are we going to, how are we going to do this? Um, but I, I then got the opportunity to, to come and work as a project manager in London. Okay. Um, we were subcont- subcontracting for a company called Affinity Flooring already. um, and I knew one of the guys, um, that was already a project manager there. And, and he offered me the opportunity to come up and work in London, which is a bit of a slap when you're, when you live down on the South coast in Portsmouth. Yeah. You know, I kind of had a chat with my wife and, and as I said, it was the first opportunity I would had to really be employed. If you like, we, we, we'd always had our own business. I've always been self-employed, um, and it was kind of that, it was that nice feeling of of knowing what you were going to get paid at the end of the month and and which month it was going to go into your bank. And um and that little bit of security, I suppose, which which um which sort of twisted my arm and 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 then and made me make the decision to come and work for someone else um in London. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it is a two-hour or so journey for me to when I leave the house to get into London, but I looked at it and although I'm sat on a train even when I was working locally and I'd be sat in the van in traffic at rush hours and, and all that sort of stuff. And you would spend a similar amount of time traveling anyway. So, um, it kind of, it kind of wasn't too much for me. Um, i been for nearly three years. Um, and then I moved to where I am now at Loughton. And it's, it's coming up five years now in September that I've been at Louton's.
1: Right. And, uh, again, for the uninitiated, who, who are Loughton contracts? What, what do they do? And who are they?
0: Oh, it's a, it's it's funny you say that because I um I mean we can we can talk about the different roles I've had at Lautens, but I'm currently I hold a sales director's role there, okay. and go out and I and I obviously do a lot of face to face stuff with with clients, and lots of the people I speak to have never heard of Louton's either and don't know who Lautens are. Yeah. Um, and When I had my own business, and even when I was at Affinity Flooring beforehand, I didn't really know too much about Louton's. Um, you know, slightly unassuming. They, they never did a lot of sort of social media or, or or promotion of the business. But I'd probably say they are the largest flooring contractor in the UK. Uh, you know, this year, we've, we sort of targeted mid 50 million, you know, 54, 55 million pound turnover um, for this. I think we'll probably push closer to 60. They are, without a doubt, the industry's leading flooring contractor. An office based in Loughton. Um, in Debden, just near Loughton another office at Canary Wharf and 95% of their work is all within the M25 in London which is wow. awful when you when you look at those sort of numbers that, that I've just banded around um, wow. but they're a, a very well established business um, I think the business has probably been going close to 40 years about 30 years ago I think Lee and Paul who are currently the MDs of the business um, took over and, and I kind of rebranded it, became Contracts. Um, and Contracts. They've, and they've grown the business from there. It was predominantly uh, a specialist um, square fluffy tile company. You know, lots of carpet tiles, lots of sort of commercial fit-out work within London. And that's what they specialised the The business has grown um, off the back of, of service, really. Very service-orientated, very much uh, making sure that the client gets what they want at the price they want um and and are serviced in the right way. Um, And as I said, the the business that developed, it's we do every floor covering you can think of now. Um, We've recently brought the screening and the floor prep element into the business. We've we've been out, we've we've purchased a successful screening company so that we can now offer those services in-house. Effectively do everything for a client now from concrete slab upwards so or we'll underfloor heating acoustic flooring um as well as ceramics the finished floors soft floor and timber you name it we can we can do that now um but we still nearly all of it just in London which is which is crazy
1: bananas um so how does it look with staffing to get to that sort of circa 60 million Um, As in, what is your employed stroke, subby, split approximately? How have you scaled it to that to keep people fit and flowing?
0: Business itself, we have, I think in the region of 115 uh, full-time employed staff. Um, They'll range from the girls in accounts, project managers, sales team, estimators, um, warehouse staff, delivery drivers. none of those are our fitters so all of our fitters work on a on a subcontract basis if you like they're self-employed they work for us they come and do our installs um but to give you an idea of the scale and it's something which completely took my breath away when i came and joined the business we we currently have two two guys in the business um their role is solely to manage our fitters um and we can have anything up to 350 fitters across the business out on our projects a day. Okay. Uh, so it's a massive, massive task. Um, but in order to be able to function at the level that we're at, you need sort of those those departments in place. You need that planning, um, you know, to, to enable it to, to work correctly. Yeah. Uh, a big ops team, like I say, the, the delivery element of what we do is very, very important. So, you know, we have in the region of nearly nearly 30 project managers. We have we have different layers within the business that a lot of other flooring contractors don't have or, or don't need. To be perfectly honest with you, because you know, I know from running a, a business myself for a, a, a lot smaller scale, there are individuals then that can do everything. You know, when I, when I had my business, I was the marketing department. I did the sales and estimating. I was the accounts, the invoicing. I physically did the, the whole lot. Um, and even when I was was working uh, where I was previously, you know, PMs would be in charge of ordering materials and invoicing the client and pricing variations and that sort of thing. Um, but when you when you get to the sort of the size that that we are at the moment at Contracts, um, in order to function smoothly, in order to be able to give your clients the right service, you have to put a lot more layers in place, and you have to have different departments to do those individual elements. Yeah, um, that's what done as a business and that's how it's structured to enable us to to be very streamlined in what we do at at the scale that we're we're doing it at the moment and how as
1: a sales director do you get sales to come in at that level how are you getting that many tenders to keep that level of fitters going Uh, if you're saying originally they weren't that strong and not well known is that different now but
0: it, it we're still not that well known like i say i still sit in front of so I've actually, uh, i actually only moved over. It'll be coming up a year now that I've been doing the sales director's role um, at Lousans. Before that, I, I worked in the operational side of the business. I joined the business with a view to to running Battersea Power Station as a project because of my timber background. Delays in that in that project and everything else meant that that my role um, advanced a little bit, and I became a divisional director and looked after you know numerous project managers and project directors beneath me and 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 ended up alongside one of the other DDs at the time, basically looking after half of the business from an operational perspective. And then and about a year ago, uh, one of the sales directors uh, left the business to go off and, and do something completely different to flooring. Um, I got asked by the MD to take a bit of a sideways step and, and give them a, a bit of assistance with the sales side of it. And again, that was another massive eye-opener for me. Um, although I say we're, we're not well-known in so much as you may not have heard too much about loud contracts, other people may not have heard about them. The clients that the business has been working for are very well established, Overbury, ISG, Mace, those types of people. And and where the business has always serviced them very well, we we get a lot of inquiries that come through from them in terms of pricing all of their flooring work. Um, you know, when you when you think about targeting 54, 56 million pounds worth of work in a year, um there's two elements you know from a sales perspective it, it's securing more than a million pounds worth of work a week to be able to to feed that animal yeah. um delivering that much um flooring um a week to be able to to be able to get to the numbers that we need to get to um so my role as a sales director is 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 sort of two prongs slightly I look after um our our main developer residential, clients so people like berkeley homes taylor winfield those types of people so bigger scale projects big residential fit out projects um and and previously we we did little bits and pieces for them um but not as much as we should have done we did you know with with berkeley homes for example we probably did in the region of of about eight million pounds worth of work over a 10 11 year period um it, we've probably secured nearly that in the last six months since I've since I've come over and, and helped the business from from the sales element um and it's 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 very you know how do we get it but it's very much about how we market the business and and how we build relationships with clients um previously the you know from the fit out side of the business they've done very very well it started off in fit out you know office refits and that type of thing. And, and the way that they serviced the clients meant that we got repeat business, and we got repeat business, and we got repeat business. It's the way I think that you need to grow any business when you're selling a service. Your own, you know, always that adage that you're only as good as your as your laugh. Absolutely. It doesn't matter whether you are a one man band and you're going into Mister Mister Smith's house, or you are a a, a massive company. Um, bad news travels a lot faster than good than good news, and. Um, yeah. I think that's that's one of the reasons that
1: Landon has been successful. It's, it's growing the business. So it probably I don't want to throw you under the bus with this one, but it's more of a personal opinion. If a floor installer, big or small, is either on a day rate or a meter squared price, how what is your opinion on those two ways of being paid? Enclosed with, can you get the right? Because the perception of being paid by the square meter you get more money by fitting more, but on a day rate, you could keep the quality higher on the setting up and the the level of attention to detail. So as a whole, not really at Lauton's. what's your opinion on day rate, meter squared price?
0: My personal opinion, and and you know, having been on the tools and worked as well, um, my personal opinion would always be to have a look at um, a, a meterage rate, if you like, as opposed to a day rate. But I think the way that, that it needs to be structured is that the, the trap that you fall into or the experience I've had that if you if you set that day rate at at an amount that means that it's not critical how much a fitter installs, yes, you could argue that the quality will be spot on, but equally there's no incentive for them to actually get any volume done. Yeah. Um and I think it's a case of if you're going to if you're going to set a day work rate, it needs to be it needs to be at the right point so that you don't get Mickey taken out of you by by a fitter that, that thinks they earn big bucks for doing very little um, because you, know, you don't always get the quality when they're on when they're on day works. Um, I would always go along the route of, of finding very you know good fitters that know their trade, know what they're doing. Um, and when you have good fitters like that, they're able to work at speed um, and still get the quality where it needs to be. Um, and I think sometimes you will get fitters that will concentrate more on the quality when they're on a the rate because if you're going at it hammer and tong when you're not worried about your quality – and it Doesn't matter whether you lay a thousand square meters that day or a hundred square meters that day, the contract is not going to pay you if your quality isn't where it needs to be. No. Um, you know, it's kind of like a false economy for the fitter just to go ahead blase and, and smash a load of work down, regardless of the quality, thinking they're going to get paid at the end of the day. It, it doesn't work like that. No. Um, but from our perspective or from my perspective, you know, having them on a rate and getting that rate at a price point that Means if they work that a little bit harder, they they earn more than what their their day rate would be or what they want to earn on a day rate. Just incentivize them to do that a little
1: bit more. And how would that work for let's say the non-subcontracted world? So the guy in the van working his margins out on Mrs. Smith's job. So as in he probably could get it done in four days, but he's going to charge for five and still be there after five. Does that make sense? So yeah, that that side of the fence, how do you feel about that?
0: that's what I've done when I had my business, you know, and the difference is, is when you are that one man in a van and you're working for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, it's your option to a certain extent as to how long that job takes, you know, price it for five days thinking you can do it in four. If you do it in three, the client's happy that you're out of their house a little bit quicker, you, you've got the work done a little bit quicker and you make more money. Um, I think it really comes down to how you you price it based on on the fitter or, or yourself and, and how you're going to deliver a project. Certainly when, when I had my own business, um, I never looked at the hours I did because I would, if I equated that back into an hourly rate as a, as a, a sort of a, a small business owner, um, you know, you'd, you'd want to go and chuck yourself off of a bridge or something like that. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's a very good question. I mean, I think how, how, how people get paid and, and what those rates are and what you charge, um, there is a there's a fine line with it, Tom. You know, in terms of of getting it spot on and, and brilliant, or, or getting it drastically wrong. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not saying you know even even with the experience we have within the business, we still have you know conversations with fitters or or, or or subcontractors whereby there's the arguments that happen about about money and what should get paid and what they should be able to do in a day and that sort of thing. Yeah. Are you ever going to get away from that? I think I don't think there's a magic formula as such as to how that's going to going to work it's it's very much horses for courses you know we have some fitters that we know are plodders but their quality is brilliant and we'll quite happily put them somewhere you know on, on a on a nice day rate um because we know the client we know what they they're after we know what we can deliver um but they're 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 fitters that like i say don't don't take the michael if you yeah. know what i mean
1: yeah yeah it's dealing with humans i think is the is the ultimate thing
0: very
1: much so yeah so and i mean i've worked uh, back in the day um in central london knightsbridge chelsea Fulham, um near battersea power station etc and for let's say a northerner it's a bit of a nightmare uh, if you're not used to it you know sort of parking vehicles um you know not being able to work after certain um times but as a whole, what's the biggest challenge you feel running a um,
0: flying business let's say in in the south? Okay, so I mean in London in particular, if you look at look at our model um, hardly any of our install teams drive into work um, you know as a, as a business that that does 95 percent of our work sort of in that that sort of main city um environment we we have things in place you know we have we have toolbox locks, toolboxes on sites and 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 that's thing thing. so the majority of our fitting teams will all jump on the tube and and turn up for work and and do their bit that day and lock all their tools up and go home and, and come back again i think the big challenge in london is is the deliveries um because especially with a lot of material um a lot of our supply chains some of them Aren't using their own vehicles to to deliver into site. You know, we have to have four silver, four gold now, and, and all these other restrictions on the delivery as well. Um, and they're using third party couriers and that type of stuff. And, you know, working outside of the city, even when I had my business, you know, curbside delivery, the, the guy would turn up, you'd, you'd come out of the house where you're working on the building, you'd unload him within about five or 10 minutes, and he'd drive off and you'd get the materials into the building. Um, Obviously when you work in central London, you don't have that luxury. But the big challenge we have is that the majority of the delivery drivers are still working on that um curb side, drop off. They want to be in and out and gone within a within a few minutes. And I and I think the delivery side of it is is the biggest challenge.
1: Brilliant. Um, and all the jobs you've done down there, what's the um either the proudest job you've done or the one that stands out that you know you 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 I don't know, the that really stands out in your brain.
0: I've been really really fortunate since I've been at Launch Contracts because I've had the the privilege I would say to to work on some some pretty amazing projects and in some pretty amazing places you know we've I've worked at the science museum um Battersea power station we we did Microsoft's first ever retail store um just on the the junction of Oxford Circus um delivered Cleveland clinic um you know london's and i think the uk's biggest private hospital um over over near victoria um but i think for the whole Battersea power station was the one for me that that's really stood out um it, up two and a half nearly three years of my life um is it finished now is it that job done it's done yeah so Battersea power station the actual power station itself is phase two of the development um, I think there are six developments in total that wrap all the way around the main power station. Yeah. Um, but, but Battersea for me was, was the big one. Like I say, it's part of the reason I came over to Louton's to, to look after that project. It had 26,500 square metres of engineered timber. Um, the majority of that was a was a Chevron floor. Um, we did all the acoustic build-ups, all the the, the Danskin skin. TMS Danskin floor, cradle and battens, and and cementitious board on top. Then all the timber everywhere. It it was a monster, and and of course it was a project that um, the dreaded C word affected slap bang in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big challenge was that because it was the biggest project in London at the time, and everything else. When when COVID hit, there was a massive focus on that project in particular from from the media. Right. Um, you know we, we were on that project um at its peak you know there'd be three four thousand people working on that building site it, it is wow. it always looked big when i saw it from the train traveling into london or, or you know when you're on the other side of the the river looking over at it but until you get there and and experience it for yourself it is it's an amazing building and it was an amazing project um but of course, we we uh, we as a business face some issues, you know, the the, the media are all over it. I remember um we actually had to we had to put out some some information on our social media channels and everything else because there was a there was a news article that was done and it was about two people working too close together on Battersea Power Station. So right. you had to, it, it was actually two chippies, they didn't even work for us, but where we didn't floor all of the floor protection everywhere on the screen just had loud contracts written all over it and and the percent it was our two guys that were breaking all the covid rules and, and everything else so um yeah that that for me it it, it won it won a, a an award at the the cfj awards last year um for in residential and like i say it's it's one of many that I've worked with, worked on with Latin contracts, and like I said, I've been privileged to to do that. Um, but for me, that was that was the standout one. You know, my friends and family are, are bored to tears of me banging on about Battersea Power and and everything else. Do you know what I mean? But but yeah, it, it, if you can get if you can get down to that, then you get a chance to go there. It is just a phenomenal place. Now it is it's unbelievable.
1: Brilliant. And obviously, with high level jobs comes high risk. Doesn't necessarily have to be with Loutons, but what is the biggest cock up you've seen in your time?
0: Oh, that is putting me on. That is putting me on. <laughs> we we face challenges all the time in the business, and and not just with Loutons where I've worked previously. You can never be hundred percent perfect, hundred percent of the time. Um, yeah, you know, there are there are errors that come along, um, and we've had a, a a real variance of challenges, I would say. Um, you know, we're faced with a lot of time challenges whereby material we need um, is actually coming from the other side of the globe and, you know, it, it takes 16 weeks on a sea on container to actually get here um, without the manufacturing times and things like that. And, you know, there, there's been times when through human error, um, things have been mismeasured slightly but you know, knock-on effect when you're waiting, you know, nearly half a year to get this material to site and you don't have much long left before you have to complete, oh. there the sort of challenges you get, you know, um wastage not being managed quite right on site, which means you are then massively short of material. Um all sorts, you know, the wrong carpets on the entire wrong floor of an office building, um, and then have to drop it all back out again. You know, there's lots of things that have come about. I wouldn't say there's any one real big standout one that, uh, that we've come across. These these are, are kind of sort of almost everyday challenges. Sometimes it's just how you deal with them and how you you uh, you move on from it. Certainly, um, in terms of risk management at Loughton's, um again, the the levels that the layers they have in there to try and minimise risk throughout the business um is is a different level to anything else I've seen. Um, we have strict protocols that have come in place. You know, when when I first went in the business, there was a there was one of my colleagues that was there. His 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 role was just to manage the timber side of the business. You know, yeah. um, there are protocols that we have in place now um, where we are very stringent on moisture checking the timber when it arrives. How it's stored, you know, we're FFC certified, so we we can we can get material into us without breaking the chain of custody and get it to site and that type of thing. Um, and as a result, we're, we're fairly sort of paperwork heavy, if you like, from from our management perspectives. Um, but all of those processes that we've put in place have uh, have been from us learning from our mistakes um, and and trying to put steps there to prevent us from making similar mistakes when we move forward. Um, And it's interesting, you know, we use, I know Jonathan Birch on on one of your shows to talk about the devices. So so we as a business, we know Jonathan, we've worked with him. Um, Every one of our timber installations has a fit box installed. Um, and, And we know that and we do it because we know what happens if you don't have it there. And whilst there's a cost involved, you know, we want to be risk adverse and we want to try and minimize our exposure um and 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 you know things like the fit boxes that we now do as standards um it, it's just one example of how we're, we're managing and, and reducing that risk to us as a business and 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 the risk to the client as well
1: i'm exactly on that side of the fence every timber flooring installation i've ever been involved with i, I, I can't remember it was but whenever the jonathan started with the fit boxes um you know we we were there at the, the front end and followed all the way through and any client I'm now advising it's like underflowing, timber fit box just non-negotiable the amount of times I've stood well actually three times in Central London in sort of 80 100 million pound residential residents that aren't particularly big but are particularly sort of special reading a fit box it, it it gets a little less stressful um you know and even if it's a conservatory in Darlington it's still the level of stress that you don't need to you know have that Problem.
0: Big thing for us as well. We, you know, we, we just talk about managing risk, but we we relate specifically sort of to the boxes is we had the COVID pandemic that came in um where you know 80% of London turned into a ghost town. Offices were empty, there was no one in them. Yet we have hundreds of thousands of square meters of timber floor that we fitted everywhere in these offices that all of a sudden become these environments where the aircon's not on. There's no people in there. The humidity levels wow. just um, and the fact that we had fit boxes installed everywhere saved us hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, you know, we got called into buildings that that hadn't been occupied for three, four months um, for them to try and say the flooring was failed because you know it it shrunk and it was opening and 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 that sort of thing. But we had the fit boxes to to fall back on. We, we could take readings. We could see that from the moment they shut the office and everyone left, that those humidity levels dropped massively. Um, there's a big change in the timber, and as a result of us being able to produce, you know, almost to the half hour segment of of when these things start to change, um, we were able to demonstrate to the client that it was because of changes in the in in the building, not anything to do with the product or how we'd installed it. Um, and it happened on a lot of different occasions and and you know because we'd managed the risk because we'd put these things in place like I say it meant that we then got paid to go back in and put these things right um yeah. us and it being a big cost for the business so yeah there's 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 certainly lots of things we do and and again you should learn from your mistakes you know if you're not making mistakes there's a problem in the in the first place I think but if you' if you're not learning from them then there's 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 definitely big trouble.
1: Absolutely, um, a strange question, which you probably be uh, um, uh, it'll happen to you when you had your own business. Um, when you run a micro flooring business, you end up with either a garage or a unit full of six meters, three meters, two meters, and you always keep them because it's like I'll I'll use that again. How does Loughton Contracts manage ten meters, twenty meters un- under measure? How, where where does that flooring go, and how do you manage that?
0: In terms of how we manage the project we we don't sort of we do manage our wastage and what is left over but we actually look at de-risking it so we have a, a pre-contracts department so sales and estimating team that will win the work um they'll do measures from drawings they'll calculate what they think the waste should be and they will price it accordingly when we secure it we have a pre-contracts department and what they do is they double check all the drawings they go out to site and do some check measures and they then reevaluate how it's been priced. And they will make some savings in terms of saying, actually that 10% waste you've allowed, we've been out on site now, we've looked at it in more detail because we've secured it. We can reduce that down to 5%, 7%, wherever it may be. Um, we still have product left over at the end of it. Um, we have two, uh, two storage units um, in Romford that we use. So the material we get collected from site in our vehicles and will be taken back to, to our storage facility in Romford. We have lots of things, site setups, you know, smaller little projects that we do um, where we'll try and utilize as much of that material as possible. It all gets registered on the stock list. So again, if we're out on a project and we need half a tub of glue, but we've had two tubs of glue that's been taken back, or there's a particular product that we fitted on a previous job, and we only need one box of it. If it's in the warehouse, our guys will then deliver it back out to another project and and utilise that material. Brilliant. The back of it, we we also have a, an eBay store where we sell stuff and reduce what we have in the warehouse. So in the warehouse, we will then um we will then try and sell it via other means. Um, but we also do lots of, of local charity and community work. So there'll be projects that we're asked to get involved with by main contractors, by our clients, whereby the, the 30 square metres of carpet tiles or the, the two bits of Broadland that we've had left over from a project and are back in the warehouse. We donate that to, to some good causes, if you like, so that they can they can get some use out of them. because you know especially when you're looking at the scale we are that one piece of carpet or those 10 boxes of carpet tiles if they're stacked for any serious amount i mean our warehouse they're costing too much money you know you almost may as well throw them in the bin um to say yeah we we try and utilize what we have left over um like say down to the last box of carpet tiles if you like there's very little that we just bin and throw away um which we were trying to avoid to do anyway, you know, in this day and age, things, the you know, sustainability and the environmental side of it and everything is is, is very, very focused. Um, so, you know, everything, our protection, we get all our protection from a company called Protech, Um, and we're part of their closed loop scheme. So our protection all gets collected at the end of our projects and goes back up to Sheffield and they wash it and clean it and recycle it back into pellets and, and they make new floor protection from it. Wow. And we've, we've kind of sort of pioneered it a little bit alongside them. So we're now the only, or we were the first. I, I think we might still be the only flooring contractor that has the protection come back to us fully recycled. Right. So there's places that are, are getting their protection collected at the end of it. But we're we're the we were certainly the first. I think we are still the only one that gets it back. So our our protection regime, if you like, is is part of that full closed loop system. Fantastic. And we do the same thing with a lot of the carpet tiles and and such. There's Three or four of our, our sort of main carpet tile manufacturers, I think it's Millican, EGI, Modulus, a couple of others, which have all got together and they they do the sort of recycling scheme now. So they'll take carpet tiles back from us that are excess or old carpet tiles that we've uplifted at the beginning of a job and they they clean them and repurpose them and they go out for social housing and stuff like that. It's, it's starting to become the sort of um accepted norm now. You know, the sustainability side of things is 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 a real big focus. It's almost on par with cost you know um there, there's a real big emphasis on it
1: yeah i imagine with that amount of quantity of flooring coming in and going out it's got to be done with something no i love that um so with your roots being wood is that your favorite go-to project and uh like product i want again you, you, you can mention manufacturers you waste but what what's your favorite project? project product to deal with
0: yeah, so look, timber is my background. You know, I've, I've had many a joke with people in our business that you know, when it comes to soft and fluffy, that's not my my area, if you like. And I still will hold my hands up. I, I don't fully know that aspect of the business in the same detail, anywhere near the detail I do the timber side of it. Yeah. Um, the timber is something which I'm much more comfortable working with, and and my knowledge is is is, is much better as far as that's concerned. But on the on the flip side of it, I, I, I'm involved with lots of projects now, which have lots of weird and wonderful floor coverings that go down. Um, and whilst I don't physically have to get involved in in the fitting of it, what you see at the end of it in terms of the, the finished article is, is breathtaking. Sometimes, you know, you mix in now, you know, resin floors that we do, and you know, your polished concretes, that type of stuff. You look at. Um, the finishes you can get now with, with LVTs and, and vinyl floors and, and that sort of thing it's, there's such a vast um, array of products. And, and, you know, as, as we said at the beginning of the, the, the chat, Tom, um, you know, we do pretty much all of it now. So yeah. you get, to, uh, but certainly Timber would be my go-to all day long. And I, I think it's, it's a bit, um, I think we're seeing less of it at the moment in the industry. Um, I think with sort of rising prices and everything else. Um, certainly, from the sort of residential developer side, um, obviously they will do cost plans years and years in advance of, of even digging ground. Um, and I think what's happened with with over the sort of last eighteen months or so, with with prices going up for material costs, and a lot of these properties that are sold off plan, um, developers have struggled a little bit in terms of their budgets that they originally had in place. So we're we're seeing a big trend now, almost in these high-end residential schemes moving away from what was predominantly a lot of engineered timber and you know and and a bit of broadened carpet in the bedrooms to to laminate floors and lvts now a lot more so whilst you can still produce an extremely lovely looking floor products the sort of value of them is, is decreased quite a bit um in terms of the specification
1: i think that's happening in the retail sector certainly this year certainly since january Uh, it's probably obviously catching up. I think normally it happens in London first and then catches on. And I've spoken to multi, multi clients um, that have been wood floor specialists for years and then starting to look at these LVTs. And I mean, I've still never been able to get excited about a piece of plastic, but I'm still wood. But again, if the client won't pay that, that level of a high level wood, you can get a high level LVT and it. Like you said, to the untrained eye, it can look as nice, probably not to
0: the, And I've had, um, you know, it kind of makes you feel a little bit like a proud parent, but I've had guys that worked for me when I had my own business. They now have their own timber businesses doing the same thing, which is fantastic, you know. Um, But I I, I bumped into one of them the other day, and I was having a chat with him, and and he now fits loads of LVT. It's his favourite product to work with. He, He gets lots of work in for it, and it's exactly what you say. Even at sort of that smaller level, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you know, they 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 still love the idea of it looking like wood and everything else, but not everyone can afford it now with the prices that it's at, and and they are shifting more to the to the LVT. And you know, again, maybe I shouldn't name drop too many manufacturers and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I I deal quite closely with um, with a chap called uh, Lincoln Gibson over at, at Plus Floor, you know, Plus Floor, um, part of the sort of same group as Havwoods, yeah. um, and. They've actually been really, really clever with what they've done. Havard's massive man- supplier in the in in, in the UK. Um, you know, we do an awful lot of work with them, and they they produce or, or they stock and sell lots of products. Um, they're very popular. So, what Plus will have done is they've brought a range of LVT out that that mirrors the sort of top six, top seven best selling Havard's products, right. which means. And you go, I love this hardwood timber here. It's brilliant, and you give them the price, and they fall off their chair. You can then, well, look. If you're not too fussed about it being actual timber, you can have this product. It looks identical, you know, in terms of the colours and the finish, and you know the, the 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 grain embossing they're doing now and everything else. It actually feels a lot closer. I yeah. know um, Tom, but it still isn't the real thing. And and you know, you can tell it's not if you know what you're looking at, but. You know, that that's what a lot of people are doing now they're they they're developing their products and they're adjusting it to try and suit where that market sits now trying to keep it as close to the the sort of up, up products that we used frequently years ago but they 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 kind of bring that modern element of production into it now to to produce stuff that's cheaper
1: It's you got the um again as it add we don't deal with too many commercial flooring um businesses but we deal with a lot of retailers and contractors and one of the biggest things for us in the last six months is about pre-qualification so rather than back in the day possibly even like when you were on the tools or when i was on the tools someone say all right i want a wood floor and you're like right i'm in the van i'm coming to see you and that that, and you would price the job and that would be it now we're we're training clients to sort of really pre-qualify to say right i want a herringbone floor right okay great Uh, how big is it it's about 30 meters right give them indicative costs and just ideas and you know is it definitely wood and just asking some really good questions before traveling 30 miles you know down the road um just to make sure the expectations because they may have gone somewhere else and said well i saw this wood and it was 30 pound but the wood you'll recommend 60 and it's just about that that educational bit and it's definitely something that's we never used to do it all. We would, you know, if it was wood, we're going out to see it and we never really competed with the laminates and the, the vinyl. It was a different trade. Um, now it's education, education.
0: Is um, And I think as well, a lot, a lot of the switch, It the cost is a big part of it, but you know, we, we have a lots of, product. you know, we, we've, we've been speaking about sustainability and the environmental side of it and everything else. And, you know, um EPDs, Environmental uh, Product Declarations, and that type of thing now are massive in terms of the sort of specification market and what what clients are using on their projects. And, you know, whilst you look at... at when, you, when you're in the timber industry, you know, when someone mentions the word laminate, you sort of get that little shiver that goes down your spine because it's that horrible, horrible sort of man-made thing, which is actually nothing like timber and using the real thing. Um, but then you get products such as Unilin's quick-step range, for example, which when you look at the EPDs and the carbon and everything else, they're actually, it has a negative value. It's all made from repurposed material. So from an environmental perspective, it is so on the money. And and we're seeing products like that now, which are specified more and more. Um, And speaking to some architects and and practice owners, they're going out to the people that work to them, to their designers, and they're, their real drive is to make sure that the products they're using really tick that sustainability box, and and you know are are the best, not just in terms of what it looks like anymore or how the performance, but from that that sustainability side. Yeah, and it means that you're getting more and more of these sort of manufactured products because they can be manufactured and, and tracked in a way that that makes them very good from that sustainability perspective
1: yeah and it's and there's still clients again back in the retail stuff that you would suggest about the fsc and where the trees have come from and people have come in with a budget of 40 pounds and then you you talk you talk about where the trees have come from and then suddenly the budget's at 60 because it's like well no this is really important not every client but again i think more commercially people have got to be more responsible so completely agree with that yeah
0: definitely, definitely.
1: So, what I'd like to do is, I'm going to go into the new quick fire round. So, these are a slightly quicker answer, a bit more fun. Um, and yeah, just a bit more about the business. And it's, it's most of these have been given by our listeners. So, if I gave you a thousand pounds now, Craig, what would you spend it on? A thousand
0: pounds. Wow. Um, I think I'd go out and buy a new TV, actually, because <laughs> the TV in the front room. Um, a couple of bulbs have gone in the screen and it's not the best and I I, I got a bit of a roasting from my young lad the other day That, um, but yeah, we needed a new TV so I think I'll probably do that.
1: Brilliant. Uh, are you a car guy? What car would you have on the drive if uh, nothing was limited?
0: I'm, I'm not really, I'm not big into cars and and having worked in London and getting the train every day for the last sort of eight, eight, nine years, I, I really only get in the car at the weekend. We've got a BMW X2 um, the wife drives it more than I do. Um, but I think if if I had to go out and and I had the option of, of just buying anything that I'd like, um, I think it would be a Porsche of some description. I think that's the sort of iconic car growing up that, you know, everyone sort of looked at. Would it be a proper
1: one or would it be an electric
0: one? No, it'd have to be one that made a big noise as he drove down the
1: Brilliant, Louis. Uh what flooring have you got fitted at home right now?
0: So Um, We haven't been in our house too long and when we moved in, it it was a bit of a project is the way that I'm going to describe it. So whilst we will have timber that goes in, um, at the minute we have uh, LVT downstairs and then carpet throughout the rest of the house.
1: Brilliant. And to operate at a higher level in any flooring business, how do you and how would you recommend people start their day?
0: I always make a list. I have a book. I make a list of what I need to get done during the day. Um, and, and again, you know, it's a different different thing. I sit on the train for a couple of hours in the morning, so I have a bit of time on my hands, but I sit down, I, I go through my list, have a look at what I didn't do yesterday, what I do today, um, and I prioritise it and I work through the list. And for me, I don't think it's just based on, on the floor industry, but that, for me, is, the, is what keeps me heading in the right direction and gets done what I need to do.
1: Is that done on your phone or a notebook?
0: Look, and, and I'm very about you know, if I, if I if I write stuff in it and all of a sudden... Uh, it looks a bit untidy. I'm that sort of person that rips the page out and then rewrites it all out. <laughs> so do. Nice. <laughs> right,
1: brilliant, Louis. Um, and three people you would love to have a paint with.
0: Okay. Um.
1: And why? It
0: would be Conor McGregor. Um, the two of them are such big personalities when they're in front of the camera and everything else, you know, Conor McGregor, UFC fighter, box Mayweather and everything else, um, and the two of those, I just quite like to see what they would be like away from all of that sort of media media hype, I suppose. Um, and then the third one is a is a really good question because I don't know if I've got a third one to be perfectly honest with you. That not one that, that springs to mind straight away. Um, I'll come back to you in a minute. I'll think. What we're doing. No,
1: no problem. Uh, what is the best bit of advice you've ever been given, and can you remember who
0: gave you it? Okay, so. I can and it they didn't come up with it with the quote but someone said to me um slow is smooth and smooth is fast um in terms of 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 doing processing it was a it was a good friend of mine his name is Brian Woods MC um he's a brilliant guy you know he he has a a great story himself in, in the background but he left the army and he came to work with me for a little bit um when we were doing the floor sanding and everything else and um we were we were tearing around to try and get stuff done, and you know, the, I think it was a pub, pub floor we were resounding and I was getting a bit panicked because we ran out of time. And he came up to me, and he said, "Look," he said, "slow is smooth, and smooth is fast," and it kind of stuck with me a little bit. And and when I am getting to that point, or, or or members of my team seem like they're going into a bit of a panic, and and they're trying to do everything quickly, and as a result, everything's going slowly. That's the one thing that sort of sticks with me. But I think he I think he stole it from a from a rocky film i think that's i think with my rocky balbara or something like that they said it
1: in a film but for me yeah slow is smooth smooth is fast brilliant love it love it sounds something like our, our mutual friend mr coletta might say as well that's the <laughs> goodbye that
0: sounds from a boxing film yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> um next one what's holding you back craig in life in, in any way you want to take the question
0: you know there are there are challenges in front of me now, which I'd like to sort of retry and grasp and 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 take hold of and and try and progress now through the floor industry. I'm not, I have, a, I have a great role where I am. Um, I'm not quite where I'd want to end up
1: yet. No, that's but- fabulous. And let's have a look. And the very last question: um, What is the least favorite part of your current role? Okay.
0: Wow. I think. Not the least, I, I try and get involved more, but where I've come from, from a fairly sort of eclectic background, if you like, in terms of the different roles I've had, I've been a business owner and everything else. Um, what's what's difficult sometimes, what's challenging is, I'm at, a, I'm at a much bigger company now where I have an individual role. Um, and it's sometimes just trying to let go of a project once you've secured it and won it from a sales perspective. You kind of have to, you've got to have the trust that you're going to hand it to someone else now to, to carry that forward and deliver it. And it, it, I, I would say it's, it's trying to, trying to um, yeah, just just let go of those, those those projects, if you like.
1: Brilliant. Lovely. And where, if our listeners uh, ever wanted to get in contact with you or discuss a project, where is the best place to reach out to you and find you?
0: So I'm on LinkedIn most of the time. Um, so you can. Find my profile on there, um, or if not, email address uh, c. at lawtoncontracts.com, or, or through our website, through the business website. You know, my, my details are on there. People can get hold of me on there. You know, I I, I know a lot of people in the industry now because of where I work at Loughton you know suppliers and everyone else and I'm in London every day if anyone wants to have a catch up or, or run through some stuff ask some questions about it then then by all means just get in contact through LinkedIn or, or via email um, i will be more than willing to have a chat Fabulous
1: well thank you so much Craig for coming on uh, really insightful of how to operate at, at that level and uh, yeah I've, I've really enjoyed this podcast thank you thanks Tom If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerellandco.co.uk. That's cockerellandco.co.uk. We also have an Instagram account, which is Cockerell and Co. And also we are on Facebook. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you here again soon.